I hope you have your message outline somewhere handy. It has a number of Bible passages on it, an opportunity for you also to kind of follow along and guess where I might actually be in today's message. I want to start with our extreme faith verse. And those of you who've been with us now for four weeks in this series called Extreme Faith know that I've been giving you an extreme verse to memorize each week. And one of the most famous promise in the Bible is this week's extreme verse that you find in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It says, My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, when you look at that passage, you have to admit that's a pretty broad statement. My God will meet all your needs. But I have a sneaking feeling that some of you don't really understand that Bible passage. I say that because some of you may actually be sitting there thinking today, hold it. I have needs not being met. I've got physical needs, I've got spiritual needs, I've got relational needs, I've got social needs. You know, and in today's economy, Pastor, quite honestly, I've got financial needs. So why isn't this promise working in my life? I'm glad you asked. I've got three answers. Number one, it's not God's fault. Number two, behind every promise in the Bible, there is a premise. God always says, if you'll do this, then I will do that. And third, God doesn't say, I will meet all your greeds. He says, I will meet all your needs in your life. Now, in this reading I shared with you today from the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul, speaking on behalf of God, is going to spell out three things for us. One of them is the principle, what God wants us to do. He's going to talk about the procedure, how we are to do it. He's going to talk about the promise, which is the guarantee. Those are our three points today. Let's start with that first one, the principle. Here's the principle that Paul is talking about. When you have a deep need, plant a seed. When you have a need, plant a seed. Verse 6 of our text says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's the principle in the Bible of reaping and sowing, or sowing and reaping. Now I want you to imagine for a moment two farmers. Each farmer has a bag of seed. One farmer says, this sack is all I've got. I'm not going to spread it around because, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. Guess what? That farmer is probably going to be out of business pretty soon. <coughs> the other farmer looks at his bag of seed and says, I've got to spread this out. The only way to get out of debt is to give away what I have. I have a need. I better plant a seed. Now, what's God saying here? Well, what God is saying is that his financial plan for your life starts with giving in faith. He's saying that giving is an act of faith. You might wonder today why I'm preaching this before the offering. <laughs> there, there's, there's a little bit of uh, reasoning behind that. But when God says your life starts with giving in faith, that seems a little bit illogical to most of us. I've already heard people say, I don't have enough. Why should I give away what I've got? 
Very simply, it's because God's ways are not your ways. That's what Isaiah 55, verse 18 tells us. And God wants to teach you all about faith. He wants you to experience and practice extreme faith. I've talked to a lot of people who have told me in the past, Pastor, when I get out of debt, then I'm really going to start giving. To that, God would say, friends, you just don't understand. Start giving, and I'll help you get out of debt. That's a statement of faith. Now understand here, you do not need to have God's help in your life. You can say to God, sorry, don't need you, got my own financial planner, God will let you do that, but the best time to plant a seed is when you have a need. In fact, it's almost a biblical principle that whatever you need more of, learn to give it away, and God will bless what you give away. In Luke chapter 6, 38, it says, give to others, and God will give to you. The measure you use for others is the one God uses for you. That's the principle. When you have a need, plant a seed. Now, let's talk about the procedure. How do you do this? Very simply, give with the right attitude. Verse 7 says you must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I don't know, I haven't really paid much attention since we lived down here in Texas, but up in Illinois, they used to have such a thing known as happy hour. Local bars between the times of, I don't know, 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock served drinks, I guess, half price. There were some local ordinances that said you can't advertise happy hours. So they changed the word to attitude adjustment time. Well, I'm here to tell you that many of you need an attitude adjustment when it comes to giving. If you want God to meet all your needs when you've planted your seeds, you need to do it with a good attitude. And all the good attitudes are just found in that verse I just read to you. It says, first of all, give thoughtfully. It says, make up your own mind what you're going to give. But you ought to do that in prayer talking to God and then sitting back and listening to what it is that he would suggest that you give thoughtfully. He says, give it enthusiastically. Entheos is the Greek word. It means with the Spirit of God, enthusiastically. It says, not reluctantly, not grudgingly. I have a cartoon in my office somewhere. I don't know if some of you are old enough to remember this, but when I was a kid, they used to pass the collection by having a bag on the end of a stick. And they would put that all the way down the row. Well, in the cartoon, it shows the usher holding on and putting his foot up against the pew, trying to get it out. Because some people evidently were giving grudgingly. They didn't want to let go of what they had. See, we ought never to give out of guilt. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, Pastor, just preaching about money today makes me feel guilty. Well, that's, that's not my fault. That's yours. That's just the way you've chosen to take it. In fact, I'm going to let you off the hook. If you ever, ever feel pressured to give by me or by this church, don't. Don't. Just that simple. Because it says, give 
thoughtfully, give enthusiastically, and it says give voluntarily. That's the third thing, not in response to pressure. You shouldn't feel as if somebody's got you in a hammer lock when the collection plate comes by. And fourth, to give cheerfully. Man, if there's one thing I'm looking forward to is when we get these new screens mounted in here, is that camera we're going to put up here and so we can focus on your faces and put them up on the screen when we take the offering. <laughs> I just can't wait to see the cheerful givers. No, I'm just kidding about that. But see, if God wants to meet, if I want God to meet my needs, the Bible says God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Now, many of you have heard this before. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word for cheerful is hilaros. It's where we give, get the word hilarious. He wants hilarious givers. Now, just think about it. God cheerfully gives you every second of your life. And God cheerfully just gave you the very breath you took. And God wants us to be just like him, cheerful, hilarious givers. And on your outline it says to give, number five, give weekly, W-E-E-K-L-Y, and not weekly, W-E-A-K-L-Y. Later in, er, back in 1 Corinthians, Paul says in chapter 16, on every Lord's day, you know, for us it's Sunday, put aside some from what you have earned during the week and use it for the offering. Now, a lot of people kind of confuse this. If I ask you what's worship all about, many of you would say, well, worship is coming, sitting there and singing some songs and listening to the pastor preach and going home. Or some of you say it's coming and not singing and not listening to the pastor and then going home. I'm not quite sure where you're at. But worship is a whole lot more than that. Worship includes a whole lot more than just coming and singing and listening to a message. That's why it says in our worship folder, if you've not noticed it, we worship with our tithes and our offerings. It's part of worship. Now the question is, I thought about phrasing it this way. How could I possibly get you to jolly up when it comes to giving? <laughs> how, you know, how, could I, how can you learn to give cheerfully? I want to suggest there are three things you could possibly remember. And if you remember these, I, I think it helps becoming a cheerful giver. One of these is to remember it all comes from God in the first place. Nothing you put in the offering today was yours to begin with. You'll never give away anything that God did not first give to you. In our text today, verse 10 says, God gives seed to the farmer, food to those who need to eat, and God will also give you seed, and guess what? God even multiplies that seed. There's a second thing that helps you be, I think, cheerful, and it's this. Remember God's guarantee. Remember God's guarantee. Luke 6, 38 again. Give to others, God will give to you. The measure you use for others is the measure, is the one God will use for you. That's kind of like saying, Folks, if you decide to give with a teaspoon, God is going to give you back with a teaspoon. If you decide to use a handful, God gives you back a handful. If you use a shovel full, God gives you back a shovel full. I mean, back up the truck sometime and see what God does. You cannot outgive God. I mean, God even gives a guarantee. He said in verse 11, you will be enriched so that you can give even more generously. 
Now, I think that helps. But there's a third thing I think that helps you become a hilarious, cheerful giver, and that is to remember your eternal reward. Luke 16 says, Use your worldly resources to benefit others. In this way, your generosity stores up rewards for you in heaven. I think it was Chuck Swindoll I heard say a number of years ago, you've never, you've never seen a U-Haul trailer in a funeral procession. I mean, you can't take it with you, but guess what? You can send it on ahead. See, anything I try to hold on to you, guess what? I lose it the moment I die. But anything I place into the hands of God, God blesses it. And I'll enjoy it forever. See, every time you do that, you're storing up treasures in heaven. And the FDIC, that's the Father's Deposit Insurance Corporation, insures it. That's one for you, Dennis. So the principle is, when you have a need, do what? Sow a seed. The procedure is to give with the right attitude. And third, is here's the promise. I can expect God to meet all my needs. I don't say that with any sense of pride, but I can just expect God to do what God's promised. I mean, God promises this over and over in the Bible. You may be surprised, but there are more promises about giving in the Bible than there are about any other thing. It's because God wants to teach us something. He wants us to expect him to meet all of our needs. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, did you catch that? How much grace? Some? No. All grace. Some things? No. All things. Some of the time? No. All of the time. Some of what you need? No. All of what you need. And he says, so that you'll be able to abound in every good work. Now, here's the bottom line, folks. Is God a liar? That's the bottom line. Is God a liar? You see, when we talk about giving, we talk about stewardship, I don't care what, what word you want to use, it's really not about giving. See, giving shows whether we have faith and trust in God or not. Will God do what God says he will do? Will God keep his promises? Can I depend on God? See, giving isn't really about giving. It's about faith. i got to tell you something. There's something that really bugs me sometimes. Yeah, there's probably more than one thing. But in, in doing this message, this is, this is something that just kind of got to me. It's something I can't figure out. I just don't understand how some people can trust God completely with their eternal salvation, but they can't trust him with their finances. I just don't understand that one. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. If I can trust God to save me, if I can trust God to forgive me, if I can trust God to get me into heaven, can't I depend upon him also to keep his word when he tells me what to do? I think the answer is yes. 
You have to answer for yourself. See, giving, and, and, and I, I think I've understood this from my entire life and in my married life, giving is a test of faith. It is not a test of feelings. Because honestly, if, if, if I gave what I felt like giving, <laughs> there'd be some mornings I, I just wouldn't feel like it. See, it has nothing to do with how you feel. Now, why is our giving so important to God that he talks about it so much? I remember one, somebody t- one time told me, Pastor, you shouldn't talk so much about giving. You should be more like Jesus. Oh, boy. I'd love to be more like Jesus. Do you realize that most of his parables were about giving? I mean, Jesus talked about it an awful lot. There must be something important here. Now, why is it so important? I read it to you. It's in verse 13 of our text. It is proof of your faith. People will what? Praise God because you obey the gospel. You say you believe and because you freely share with them and others. See, there's another reason we give, and that's because God first gave to us. I think all of us know that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stretched out his arms on a cross, and he made the ultimate sacrifice when he gave his life for each and every one of us, everyone in this world. So, friends, if God never, ever, ever did anything else for you again in life, I would suggest to you that you owe him already for what he's already done for you in the past. God gave his life so that you and I could experience heaven. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for three things. I mean, he paid for your forgiveness. He paid for my forgiveness. On that cross, he paid for every sin that you and I will ever commit. And he wiped out those sins. He paid for those sins. You don't need to pay for it. First of all, you don't have the money for it. God on that cross in Jesus took all the punishment. You don't need to take the punishment. You can go to heaven today on his ticket and not on your good works variety. That's what he paid for. He also paid for your freedom. Freedom to discover his purpose for you in life. Freedom from the fear of death. Freedom from other people's expectations. Free to be what you were meant to be and created to be. I have a friend who, whose motto is to be unique. <laughs> and you know what? We ought to all be unique because God has wired us all up differently. We had, we need, and God gives us the freedom then to just be who we are. But you know, he also paid for our future. The Bible says, I has not seen nor ear heard Nothing has entered into the heart of man the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, folks, we ain't seen nothing yet. We can't even begin to imagine it. God has a place in heaven for you, and he paid for it. Now, I've got to tell you, that's kind of where my initial sermon ended. But I got to thinking about something else, and that's why I'm thankful that on your message outline you still got about a half a page. And if I were you, I might number it one, two, three, four, five. I'm just suggesting. And the reason I, I said I've kind of finished was because I began thinking that this whole subject about giving really needs to kind of deal with this church. And it also needs to deal with 
the economy that you and I find ourselves living in in this country today. Now, obviously, the news about our economy and the supposed stimulus packages, I loved one of them. They were going to cap all CEOs' salary at 500000 so I'm waiting for my stimulus package to get me up there. I'll be waiting a long time. But obviously, the news about our economy these days is not very encouraging. You know, it used to be kind of funny to make light of it by saying, you know, my 401k is now 201k. Unfortunately, that's not really very funny anymore because for many people, it's a 101 and they don't even have their K anymore. And it doesn't appear that it's going to get much better real soon. Now, this uncertainty has been going on long enough that it's actually beginning to affect how people live and how people give. And one major effect that we're beginning to see, and know this as a church consultant, as I look at other churches and kind of study some of this, is that people are giving smaller and even fewer, fewer contributions to what we would call nonprofit organizations. And this includes churches as well. And as I network with a lot of pastors across this country and some around the world, it's evident that this financial situation is even beginning to hit churches and hit them pretty hard. And as I think about that, my question is this. Why should today's economy affect Christian giving? Should we suddenly start making all of our decisions out of financial fear? I mean, how do we as a church and as Christ followers respond to this crisis? Now, you don't have to look very far in your Bible to find the answer. I read to you this morning, 2 Corinthians 9. If you've got your Bibles, you only got to go back one chapter to chapter 8, and the answers are there. I'm not going to read you the first 12 verses of chapter 8, but you ought to read it a little bit later. It has to do with giving it a love offering to another church. I really want to focus kind of at the tail end of this message on, on verse 9 of chapter 8. In verse 9 of chapter 8, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I think this central truth provides the key to unlocking biblical perspectives for us as a church, and even more so as believers. I want to share five thoughts with you in closing. Number one is this. Giving is about mission, not mindset. I'm going to say that again. Giving is all about mission, not mindset. See, as Christians and as a church, as First Lutheran Church, let's just put it 4600 Texas Boulevard, Texarkana, Texas, we are on a mission. We have been called to be on a mission, and, and we're on the mission of the gospel. We are on a mission of furthering the grace of God. See, commitment to God means that we need to be motivated by that mission. It's the defining motive of our lives. And because we're on mission, guess what? There are a lot of people out there that are counting on us. God is counting on us to reach them. Sad to say we do not often find this kind of extreme faith today. We often give according to our mindset, whatever mindset we have at the moment. I mean, if, if we feel good and things are going well, we give. But if, if we don't feel very good or our mindset are poor, then we kind of 
cut back on our giving. I even have to ask myself, you know, where is Jesus in that thought process? I mean, giving to the work of the gospel should be a mission that arises out of our total, sold-out commitment to Jesus Christ. One of the things I've noticed in this sudden downturn of our economy is something very similar to what happened after 9-11. When people suddenly didn't have any answers, where did they come looking for answers? The same place that people are coming again today when they don't have answers for the economic problems, they're coming back to God's house. See, in a hurting world, friends, hurting people turn to the church more often than not. People who are hurting are looking for answers. And if we're not defined by mission, then we will retreat in the face of growing opportunities to do ministry, and we will retreat in furthering the gospel. So I say giving is about mission. It's not about mindset. Here's the second thing. Giving is about eternity not expenses. I'll say that again. Giving is about eternity, not expenses. Now, what is our mission? The mission of this church, the mission of every church, every Christian church, ought to be about salvation. Paul reminds us that Jesus came and gave and became poor. Why? So that we could inherit eternal life. Therefore, giving is about eternity. It's not about expenses at all. When we pull back and we quit doing ministry because folks quit giving because of their mindset. Let me ask you this question. If, if First Lutheran Church would ever have to cut back because of other people's mindset, who wants to go first and identify what it is we cut back on? I mean, for example, will we cut back on children and youth ministry? If that's your answer, I'd say, what's a child's eternal life worth to you? In fact, I would ask, what's the value of anyone's salvation in Jesus? See, when you compare the riches of heaven with what we might gain by saving a dollar here or there and keeping it from the eternal work of God, it's embarrassing. It's shameful that we would function by mindset rather than people on a mission. Here's the third thought. And that's giving is about a decision and not desires. It's about a decision, not desires. I'll be honest with you. When I preach a ser- just a normal sermon, people are like, okay with it. If you preach a sermon about evangelism, people kind of smile occasionally. It's pretty good Sunday. But you know, when the pastor preaches about giving, people get a kind of serious look on their face. They're not nearly as excited. I understand that. In fact, if I were to stand up here and give you a message on how I think we ought to upgrade our facilities or maybe tear down this place and relocate, half of you would have a heart attack on the spot, and that wouldn't be a very popular message at all. The question is, why is that? I think it's because there's a difference between desire and actually making a choice to do something. Would you all like to have more people in church? Yeah, pastor, I'd love it. Well, let's all go out this afternoon and do door-to-door witnessing. We're behind you, Pastor. Way behind you. (laughs) Enjoy the day. Glad it's 70 outside. See, Paul acknowledges desire. And I think we all have a great desire for the mission and for the kingdom. But we need to move from 
that desire to deciding to actually do it. Here's number four. Giving is about faith, not finances. Giving is about faith, not finances. If you go back to where I read to you before in 2 Corinthians 9, we see that all that we have comes from God. You know, when you give, you're simply giving what God has given you to give. Guess what? If that's true, if, you could, if you're only giving what God's given you to give, then you can give as much as God calls you to give because he's going to give you what you have in the first place. That's just a simple matter of faith. Sadly, most people in the church do not develop this kind of extreme faith, and that's because they only give out of their abundance and not out of God's abundance. See, people who have made the choice to tithe, I think, have, have learned time and time again that God provides for their every need, and he always does it from his abundance. One last thing, and that's that giving is about commitment, not circumstances. It's about commitment, not circumstances. See, the mission of the gospel, the reality of eternity, the understanding of God's provisions, these can really only produce one response in the heart of a true Christ follower, and the response is this, we must commit our all just as Jesus committed his all for us, meaning he became poor. Friends, we really don't have the right to withhold our lives from God's mission. That's why Paul says very clearly in verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. This year, First Lutheran Church is celebrating its 90th year in mission for God. I've read a little bit about the history of this church. I know a little bit. And I know that to some degree, this church was built on sacrifice. Guess what? Its future will be built on that as well. But let me put this into perspective. It's nothing compared to the sacrifice that Jesus gave for you or for me. Now today we talk a little bit about giving back to God. It's pretty quiet in here today, I've noticed. I make no apologies for anything I talk to you about today. I never make any apologies for what I believe that God has put on my mind. But friends, if you're going to, if we're going to, if we as a church are going to grow in faith, we've got to learn to give back to God. But what God really, really wants, more than anything we would ever, ever put in an offering place, is he wants your love. He wants your love, and he wants your life. That's why the great hymn of the church, the first verse isn't, take my silver and my gold. <laughs> Remember how that starts? It says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. God wants you. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. When you think of what he's done for you, is that too much to ask? Answer, no. If I can trust Jesus for my forgiveness, 
If I can trust him for my freedom, if I can trust him with my future, then certainly I can trust him with my finances. Let's pray. Jesus, we'll never be able to repay what you've given to us. In fact, everything we have is a gift from you. We can only give back what you've given to us. Help us to learn the miracle of generosity. Stretch our faith and increase our commitment and deepen our love for you. Break that grip that materialism has on our lives. Lord, I'm certain that there are many people here today who have financial difficulties, maybe even severe financial difficulties. And we pray for them because they're members of this family, this church family, this body of Christ. And enable us to act and do in ways in which we can be of help. Lord, do a miracle in their lives as they trust you. And prepare us to do a miracle as well through us and in our hearts this next week. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.